Good morning, everyone. Uh, our reading today is Luke chapter 20, verses 1 to 19. Uh, you can find that on the little slip in your sermon outline, uh, or you can follow on along on the screen behind me. So that's Luke chapter 20. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. He went on to to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, uh, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Uh, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning? Uh, Then what is the meaning? Of that which is written, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Well, good morning. It's great to be here. And uh, it's a delight to be opening the Word of God with you. Uh, This is our Peterson Family Church, although because I work with CMS, uh, I'm often not here, often visiting a range of other churches on behalf of CMS. And I'm often preaching specifically on the topic of global mission. Uh, This time I was approached by Cam, would you fit into our Luke series? And I thought, yes, of course, I'd love to fit into the Luke series thinking, will there be a top, will it have any connection with mission? Uh, because, you know, I, or do I have to kind of squeeze some mission into the passage or something like that? Uh, well, anyway, now it's CMS Sunday, so we're really hoping there's something about mission in the passage. Let's hope our sovereign God has organized the choice of passages to help us think about mission as well. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is life for us wherever we are in the world. We pray that you would strengthen us by it and equip us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, the title of this message is Authentic Authority. And this passage from Luke 20 shows Jesus being challenged about his authority. And then he turns the tables and he challenges his hearers and us about whether we will sit under his authentic authority. Now that word authentic, we love that, don't we? Anyone not like the word authentic? It really is the word of the day, isn't it? This, this, it captures our generation, a longing to, uh, to be, get beyond what is fake to what is real, to what actually has vitality and life and purpose and truth. But what about the other word, authority? Historically, Aussies have an interesting relationship with this idea of authority. We see ourselves as anti-authoritarian. And you can think of the litany of larrikins in our history from beer-sculling former Prime Minister Bob Hawke. You know, he's the most powerful man in the world and you, you see him on the TV with, a, with a, a schooner of beer and he sculls the whole thing for all of us to see. He's thumbing his nose at social conventions. Or de- cricketer Dennis Lilly back in the 70s, he, fish- he gets the chance to meet the Queen officially and he asks her for an autograph. You don't do that to the Queen. But anyway, he hasn't learned his lesson. Four years later, he gets an invite to Buckingham Palace. And what does he say? G'day, how you going? And of course, we've got a long list of, of people, normally white men, lauded for their irreverent humour and behaviour. People like Shane Warne and your Paul Hogan's and your Sam Newman's and so on. And then, of course, there's the Aussie about whom more biographies have been written than any other Aussie. Ned Kelly, the gun-swinging, stick-it-to-the-man bushranger. So perhaps as Aussies we don't connect too well with this notion of Jesus as an authority figure. But three months ago, Walid Ali, you know him? He uh, wrote an article in the Sydney Morning Herald entitled, Carefree Larrikin is a Myth. Australians are Obedient to Authority. And he's turned this whole idea on its head. Are we in reality compliant? He points to the extraordinary way that Australia has managed COVID-19. We've basically just done what we've been told. We've had lockdowns and closed borders, hotel quarantining, rules about distancing and density. And he compares us to the United States where liberty is almost more important than life itself. Where the idea of closing any borders, let alone state borders, would have been laughable. But it's not just COVID. We have gun laws and we love them. And there's more. Let me quote from Ali. We were the first nation to make seatbelts compulsory, one of extremely few to make bicycle helmets compulsory, even in the day when the only option was the stack hat. They were awful. Mandatory breath tests for motorists, extensive prohibitions on smoking in public places, even vast outdoor ones. It's interesting, isn't it? What do you make of authority? Maybe our question isn't about whether we'll submit to authority, but whether that authority is authentic. Perhaps you've seen in the news examples of the devastation that inauthentic authority can have. Just yesterday, in the nation of Myanmar, a message was broadcast on state TV, and this is this is official language. This is the official television station. We don't really have one here like that. We, no way do we have one like that. Um, and this is them warning pro-democracy protesters. 
They said, you should learn from the tragedy of earlier ugly deaths that you can be in danger of getting shot to the head and back. The military took control of that country on the 1st of February. They arrested the leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, and various other officials. And the widespread peaceful protests have been met with brutal, unapologetic violence. Nighttime intimidations and arrests... They reckon over 400 documented deaths, likely many more. Over 3,000 arrests, probably many more. And now they're openly threatening to shoot people in the head and in the back. The people of Myanmar are angry and desperately sad at this inauthentic authority. So let's turn to Jesus and his authentic authority. And let's listen to where his authority comes from, what it looks like, And what happens if we spurn it? We find Jesus in the passage we had read. He's teaching in the temple courts and he's proclaiming the good news. And he's been there quite recently. He was driving out those who were selling things and accusing the leaders of Israel of turning God's house from a house of prayer into a den of robbers. Quite an accusation. And the force of it has not been lost on these religious leaders. And they set about trying to find a way to kill him, but they want to do it under the radar. And at the beginning of our passage, they approach him with a question. Verse 2, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. Who gave you this authority? You see, even from his enemies, there is the idea that Jesus is acting with some kind of authority. They may not believe in it or submit to it, Maybe it's his miracles or maybe it's his teaching, but he's criticized them and now they're on the attack and this is the topic. Now, I don't know about you, but we, we don't like being told we're in the wrong, do we? I, um, it's confession time now. I recently got pinged, pinged for jaywalking. Has anyone been pinged for jaywalking? I've worked in the city so long and finally it happened this, this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I could give you my defense, uh, but it really is pretty lame. Anyway, the point is, I'm halfway across the street. It's a very narrow street, but, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm still doing it, I admit. And, and I hear this person yelling from behind me, hey, you, stop, and there's this whistle. And I turn around. The whole area is crowded with people, and they're all looking at me. <laughs> and I see this guy in plain clothes, and he's beckoning me. Yeah, you. Oh, gosh. And my first thought is... My first thought is, who on earth are you? And by what authority are you yelling at me? And then I saw the gun on his hip and the police badge. (laughs) And I was dutifully humbled and I received my warning. We do need to know if Jesus has authority. If he's going to critique our lives. But Jesus doesn't have a badge or a gun to show his authority. What he does is he puts a question back to the religious leaders and asks them, tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or human origin? Now he's talking about John the Baptist and his recent ministry at the Jordan River. And these leaders had been skeptical of John's legitimacy also, and Jesus is now exposing their unbelief and and they mutter to each other, hmm, hmm, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe in him? 
But if we say of human origin, then all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know where it was from. This is authority agnosticism. It's not just not knowing, or we, we don't know, but we've heard, the, we've heard the conversation in the background. It's that they actually don't want to engage or think or reflect. Now, agnosticism is huge in Australia. I think, though, that it is a bit of a cop-out to say, I don't know if God exists. Who could know anyway? So don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to have those conversations. And I, I think the question that I would put to agnostics who might be listening today is, are you genuinely open about Jesus, open-minded about him? Or is agnosticism in some ways a defense that is convenient, that makes difficult conversations go away? Because Jesus wants to engage you. And the way he goes on in the next episode then seems to be a response to this idea of agnosticism, this agnostic reaction. Jesus knows their hearts and he's about to poke them where it hurts. And so we come to the unforgettable parable of the tenants. Man plants a vineyard, he rents it to some farmers, he goes away, and at harvest time he sends a servant to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard. They beat the servant, the tenants beat the servant, and they send him away empty-handed. The owner then sends another servant and another servant. Each of them is beaten and sent away without any of the fruit that belongs to the owner. It's a striking story, isn't it? Which side do you take? You have an incredibly patient landlord here, and you've got a bunch of tenants who are crooks. They're stealing what's not theirs, and they're being violent in getting their way, murderous even. Now, this is probably one of the more allegorical of Jesus' parables. That is, multiple layers of meaning. The landlord is God. The vineyard is Israel, the nation. The fruit represents the righteous living that God wanted from his chosen people. The servants are the prophets throughout the Old Testament, sent with messages from God to help the people to bear the fruit that God wanted them to bear. But who are the tenants? Well, they are the leaders of God's people. See verse 19, they even work it out for themselves. The priests, the teachers of the law, the upright religious people. But notice that, you know, authority was obviously the theme of the previous section, but notice that it's the key theme here too in this parable. These servants are not turning up in the story on their own authority. It's not just their idea to go and get some fruit. They are sent by the owner. They arrive at the vineyard with the badge and the credentials and they speak with the authority of the owner to the tenants. So what is Jesus saying in telling them all this story? He's telling them there has been an authority rejection. You've claimed agnosticism. Oh, I don't know. I don't know whose authority John the Baptist had. But actually, you... And the centuries of leaders before you have ignored God's prophets and in doing so you have rejected God's authority. Authority agnosticism, 
authority rejection, but Jesus' criticism gets even worse, authority conspiracy. Verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. All of a sudden, the parable just turns dark. The incredible audacity of these tenants. Not only a complete rejection of the owner's authority, but a conspiracy to take it all for themselves by murdering his son, the heir. It's pure evil, isn't it? Imagine this is the, the plot twist in a police drama on telly. These are the kind of things we see all the time. You'd be, you'd be holding out for justice, for restitution, for the police to go in with the owner and make the arrests and bring justice. And that's kind of what happens in verse 16, very much what happens. The owner comes and, and exacts justice according to what Jesus suggests. But even after the situation is apparently resolved by the owner going in and, and taking justice, the people listening, we've just got to step into the, into the minds of the people listening to this parable, they are still picking their jaws up off the ground. They say, God forbid. They know that the vineyard is Israel and that God is the owner. This is not a surprise to them. In fact, this is the exact allegory, if you like, that is, that is in Isaiah chapter 5 that they would have known, where God refers to Israel as his vineyard that he planted from which he wanted good fruit. Now, these people listening, they may not know that Jesus in front of them is the son in the story, but they are horrified that this story of God maybe even sending a son to Israel and the son being murdered as part of a conspiracy by the leaders of Israel. It's horrendous. It's unthinkable. And Jesus turns to the crowd. They've just said, God forbid. And he, said, he turns to them and he said, oh, you think this is unthinkable? Well, what was Psalm 118 all about then? And he quotes them. And in our passage, it's verse 17. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Why are you surprised at this story? So what, what's happened here is that he's changed the metaphor, moving from the image of God's people as a vineyard now to the image of God's people as a building. The cornerstone is the crucial first piece of the footings that lays out where this building is going to stand. And everything's going to sit on this stone or it's going to be referenced to this stone and without it, the building's going to fall over. And this ancient prediction in Psalm 118 was that the crucial stone in God's building would be thrown away by the builders. God forbid. But what happens in the last verse of our reading? Verse 19. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. Because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. And they prove him right straight away. Can you see that? Could Jesus have authentic authority? Could he really be the son of God the Father? What would happen to the human race if we killed him? God forbid. 
Jesus answers that question even before we ask it. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that cornerstone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. We're either building with the cornerstone or we're not building with it. Beware of stumbling over Jesus' authority. There's actually no middle ground on the question of who Jesus is. Agnosticism, like it seems like a neutral position. Maybe I can, you know, wait and see and see what, see what I find out. But either Jesus is from God or he's not. In some ways it's simple. And each of us in some ways needs to come down one way or another on that. What do you think? Is it possible that God may have a plan for human beings? I think so. Doesn't, it's not too hard to believe, I don't think. What about the idea of there being a one particular nation that would shine God's light to the world and kind of be an example to the world and lead the world to God? Does it seem unreasonable to believe that this chosen nation, Israel, actually failed in that task and that that failure was even predicted by God? I mean, it's an extraordinary story, but in some ways when we reflect on the world, it's not that far-fetched. You know, we look at inauthentic authority. We can spot it a mile away. I mean, it's so common. You see it everywhere. You see it in church. You see it in governments, good governments and bad governments. We think we've got a good government, but, you know, is there a bad egg or are we all just bad eggs waiting to go rotten? We see it in families. We see it everywhere in human life. So we like the fact that we live in a democracy. You know, we vote and we vote in new governments because we think they're going to do a better job at wielding authority. But they always fail. And, you know, that's fine because we just swing back to the other group. To be honest, I find the idea of God's involvement in the world with some kind of authentic authority, I find that very much believable. Because we want to be led. I think he's made us this way. We want to be able to trust our leaders to look after us, to be dependable. And is it so hard to believe that God actually wanted to give us this authentic authority in human form? How better to communicate with us than as one of us? How better to lead humans than as a human leader? showing us the true nature of true leadership. Now, of course, we all have questions about how Jesus can be both God and man, and those are great questions we need to work through. It doesn't perhaps naturally fit all our categories, but before we dismiss it because it's too complicated, surely we should listen to him, and that's really what we're doing today. Because in the end, this man went to the cross willingly as an innocent, blameless man. He laid his life down and he wasn't trying to establish his authority through being violent or even through being popular. He established his authority by winning salvation for God's people despite their failures. On the cross, he even prayed for the forgiveness of those who were executing him. But of course, the crucial moment defining Jesus' authority was the resurrection. 
that God the Father, through the power of the Spirit, raised the Son to life, never to die again. And if that's not God-given authority, if that's not the stamp of God's authentic approval, then I don't know what is. What does power over death mean if not authentic authority? The real deal. Death is humanity's greatest enemy, the object of our greatest fears. And God gave him victory over that. Doesn't this change everything for us? Now, some of you may still be in a questioning phase. You're reading the Gospels, you're talking with people, you're coming to church, maybe you're doing a life course or you just haven't quite managed to get around to organising to do a life course yet. For others, though, you can answer straight away, yes, you find this authentic authority. I believe him. I turn away from my sins and I turn to this risen saviour for forgiveness and restoration because I believe Jesus is Lord, not a Lord. Shortly I'm going to be interviewing NNR who have been serving Jesus in Southeast Asia. In a land of turmoil in which the government for a long time has banned people from converting to Christ, banned people from leading people to Christ, because if you believe in Jesus' authentic authority, you know that there can come a point where there is a clash with other authorities. Does Jesus really want missionaries to go and preach where it is illegal to preach? And should people go and do those sorts of things. Well, here is where authority in our passage and mission, global mission, all kinds of mission, here is where those ideas come together. Do you remember Jesus' great commission? The end of Matthew's gospel, he's risen from the, from the dead and uh, he, he says to his disciples, these are his words from Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus' authority is the reason we do mission. He's called us to go and do it. So we don't just go and try and be helpful in places of need. Although, he wants us to be helpful. And we don't do mission work because we're kind and loving people and it just makes us better than others so we go and do mission work. No, he is kind and loving and he wants us to be kind and loving and that's why we go and be kind and loving. We don't go and colonize on behalf of empires. Christ is a higher authority and he calls us to serve throughout the world as he served in the world for the world. We do global mission because of Christ's authentic authority. So brothers and sisters, are you on mission? Yes, we are. If we believe his authority is authentic, then he is calling us to be involved, to partner with mission and potentially to go yourself. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord and Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, our Lord. We thank you that you raised him from the dead. 
establishing his authority over all heaven and all earth according to the promises that were all through the scriptures that you would give your authority to the Son of Man. And thank you, Lord, that his mission is not a a bullying kind of mission. His mission is a humble mission, a servant-hearted, kind and loving mission, a mission all associated with your kingdom. And our Father, this morning we pray that you would make us kingdom-minded and mission-minded in submission to Christ. Please help us to know what obedience to that great commission looks like what submission to his authentic authority looks like. And Father, we pray for those amongst us who are still thinking through this claim of authority. Please guide us and teach us, lead us into truth. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.